Well, good morning, church. He is great, amen? All right, let's see. There, am I on now? That's good. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those in the book of Psalms this morning as we wrap up a series out of the book of Psalms. Next week, we'll be in a whole new book. So uh, go ahead and grab a Bible there. If, uh, if uh, you weren't here last week, I hope that this week is a little less energetic behind me. Uh, I know that uh, for many of you, you may not know, a squirrel appeared behind me last week, and so that kind of put a wrench in some things. But I, I just want you to know I'm glad the squirrel is here because you got to hear the gospel, and uh, you just never know when you're going to take your last breath. So um, took care of that. All right, so uh, as we jump into the scriptures today, we, uh, we want to begin by welcoming some new members. Last week, as, as they called it, Squirrel Sunday, they got to join uh, our church. And so I'd like to present to you a few families, the Hargest family, Brett, Lasica, Evan, and Ethan, the Hilliard family, Adam and Jessica, the Higgins family, Chad, Amy, Cannon, Bishop, Rush, Ronan, Brace, and the Moyer family, Kevin, Marina, and Poppy, along with Gloria Martin this morning. And uh, Gloria Martin is the mother of Jeff Martin. I got to have a talk with her. She was not here last week, but we did meet together. And I've heard all of their testimonies, and we've shared our faith with one another. And uh, it is my motion that we receive them into our family. Do I hear a second? Second. All right. All those in favor, would you say, I love you? All right. That is the call of our church, to passionately love others to Christ. And so at the end of service, I want to invite these families down front so that you can uh, get a handshake and a and a hug, and all kinds of stuff, okay? So uh, I won't make you do that right now, but we do welcome you into our church family. If you have your Bibles, like I said, we're in Psalm 139 this morning, and I've entitled this, The Lord's Surveillance of Me and His Sovereignty Over Me. And my wife did not like the word surveillance, but I had already written it, so that's what I I stuck with. And uh, so surveillance, have you ever noticed that you're under surveillance? Maybe you walk into the bank or maybe you go to the ATM machine and you'll see that camera there or you'll walk into a grocery store and you see yourself walking by the, by the monitor and you're on camera. Uh, maybe you have an Alexa in your house or, a, or something like that and it's always listening in and, and maybe you've said things in conversation and then the very ads of the things you were talking about began to pop up on your phone. Have you, have you noticed this? Some of you are more uh, leery of this than others. Some of you will talk into your phone hoping to get those ads. Uh, I know what that's like. Uh, as, as I've shared uh, a few weeks ago, my family and I got to go to Disney. And when we went to Disney, we had to download the Disney app. And when we did that, we would walk through the park and they would say, wouldn't it be nice to see this right now? And you're like, how do you know where I'm at? Or here's a picture that we took of you. Oh, that's creepy, right? (laughs) That's creepy. So you're under surveillance, and you may or may not like it, but as we get into this psalm, which is possibly many of our favorite psalm, it is one that shows us that we can never escape the watchful and loving eye of our Lord and Savior. And so as you prepare your heart for worship this morning, I would ask that you would take your word and you would follow along with me as I read it in its entirety. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. 
Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. The darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, there would be more than the sand. Awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. This is God's word. Father, as we come to you and we ask, Father, that your spirit awaken our souls, awaken our hearts, awaken our minds to your word, that you would implant your word within us that we would see you clearly today, that we would be amazed at your beauty and your power and your sovereignty. So Lord, we would ask that you would draw us closer to you, that we would not be those that run from your presence, but we would be those who run to it. In Christ's name, amen. What a beautiful psalm. The, the psalmist here, David, is reflecting on the fact that you cannot get away from the presence of God. As Ligon Duncan put it, this psalmist is stunned by the thought that the God of the universe who created everything and knows everything and is everywhere and is completely, spotlessly pure and holy knows him, is near to him, made him, and loves him. That God who created him knows everything about him, the good and the bad, and he still loves him. What a marvelous thought that the God who knows every single detail, every single thing about us, the good and the bad, would still love us through his son, Jesus Christ. I want to walk through this psalm with you this morning, verse by verse, and I want to begin by seeing that the Lord knows you. I want you to understand that the Lord knows you this morning. It says there, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. What thoughts that David has of the Lord? O Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. The Lord knows your private life, your 
public life, your nighttime, your daytime, your resting, your working, your sleeping, your waking. It doesn't matter where you are and what you're doing. The sovereign Lord of the universe has a personal surveillance of you. What an amazing thought that he is aware of every moment of your life. That there is not one thing hidden from his knowledge. He knows you all so well. This is not some generic psalm that is written. This is a, this is a personal psalm written by David, one of a prayerful psalm that points out that you know me. Would you say that in your mind just for a second? God, you know you know me. What a personal thought. What a personal prayer. Which makes me ask myself, how many of my prayers are not personal? How many, how many of my prayers are just generic? Just words that I repeat because it, I'm programmed to do so with piety and religion. Have you ever dawned, has it ever dawned on you that God knows when you're going to him and praying and your heart's not in the prayer? What a thought that our general nonspecific prayers serve to appease our pietistic tendencies more than they do draw us into an intimacy with God. When we go to the Lord, we go to the Lord personally because he knows us. He knows everything about us. As Jeremiah prays in 12, 1 through 4, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them and they take root. They grow and produce fruit. You are near in their mouth and far from their heart. But you, O Lord, know me. You see me and test my heart toward you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither? For the evil of those who dwell in it, the beast and the birds are swept away because they said, he will not see our latter end. The prophet Jeremiah praying, oh Lord, you know me. You see me. You test my heart towards you. You know when I'm, when I'm just walking through motions and you know when I'm just giving lip service and my heart is far from you. You know me. You've searched me out. As Jeremiah is saying, there are people who honor you with their lips and you know them that their hearts are far from you. Verse three, you search out my path. Am I lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways? Search out this idea of winnowing. Winnowing is the separation of the wheat from the chaff. As you remember from Matthew chapter three, 11 through 12, John the Baptist says this, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. As John the Baptist says these words, he's speaking figuratively that there are those who will call out on the name of the Lord. He knows their heart and he knows that it's not just lip service and he will separate those by that. That there are some he will separate because he knows. He's searched 
Not only has he sought out and winnowed, but he is acquainted with all of my ways. All of my ways, as 2 Timothy 2, 19 says, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal, the Lord knows who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. What a remarkable thought that the Lord knows and is acquainted with all of our ways. He winnows out. He judges us not based on what's on the exterior, but what's on the interior because he knows our heart. There is nothing hidden from the sovereign Lord of the universe. The Lord knows and is acquainted with all of our ways. He knows those who are his, and he knows those who are still dead in their sin. The idea here is that Paul is referring back to the rebellion of Korah that takes place in Numbers. You remember Korah's rebellion, and in, and in Numbers 16, 26, I don't have it on the screen, but he says this, and he spoke to the congregation saying, depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away by all their sins. Separate yourself from all of these iniquities because the Lord knows who are his. Don't allow yourself to be swept away in the things that are going on in the world around you because God is acquainted with all of your ways. This is a heavy thought for us. It's so heavy that even before a word is on our tongue, behold the Lord, you know it all together. He's so acquainted with our hearts that he even knows the words that we never say. How many times have you had a thought come in your mind and you were going to say it, but oh man, I didn't, right? Ooh, that was a close one. Good thing I'm redeemed or you'd have heard something else, right? You say stuff like that. He knows those thoughts. He knows those words before they ever come out of our mouths. The Lord knows us so well that he even knows our thoughts. The Lord knows not only our movements, but he knows our motivation. He knows what drives us to do the things that we do, to say the things that we say and act the way that we act. He knows the pain and the hurts and the scars from our past that have caused us to have the personalities that we have today. He is acquainted with all of our ways. What a remarkable thought. I'm reminded of when they brought the paralytic to have him healed by Jesus and they tore open the roof and they lowered him down in Luke 5. 23:22 says this and when he saw their faith he said man your sins are forgiven are forgiven you and the scribes and the pharisees began to question saying who is this who speaks blasphemies who can forgive sins but god alone when jesus perceived their thoughts he answered them why do you question in your hearts oh before they ever said anything he perceived in their hearts what was really taking place as we sit here right now, God knows what's happening in your mind. There is not one thing that he does not know because God knows you. What a remarkable thought. The God who has complete control is also has complete surveillance. Luke 6, 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He knows our thoughts before they become our words because he knows our hearts. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. The Lord is holding you together on all sides. 
Right now, your existence is being held together by the one who holds you in his right hand. He has complete control over all things. He holds your past, your present, and your future. The Lord knows you so well that he knows exactly what you need and nothing comes into your life apart from his surveillance and his sovereignty. He has hedged you on all sides. And there is not anything that has come into your life that he is not keenly aware of. What a remarkable thought that nothing gets past him. Not only that, but since God knows you and holds you, holding both your past and your future, he's also not surprised by anything that takes place in your life. You can never catch him off guard. He's never learning something about you. He knows you. As Tozer put it in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, I want to read this to you. I want you to just think about the vast knowledge of the Lord for a second. To say that God is omniscient is to say that he possesses perfect knowledge and therefore has no need to learn. But it is more. It is to say that God has never learned and cannot learn. The scriptures teach that God has never learned from anyone. From there, it is only a step to conclusion that God cannot learn. Could God at any time or in any manner receive into his mind knowledge that he did not possess and had not possessed from eternity? He would be imperfect and less than himself. To think of a God who must sit at the feet of a teacher, even though that teacher be an archangel or a seraph, is to think of someone other than the most high God, maker of the heavens and the earth. God knows instantly and effortlessly all matter and all matters, all mind and every mind, all spirit and all spirits, all being and every being, all creaturehood and all creatures, every plurality and all pluralities, all law and every law, all relations, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feelings, all desires, every unuttered secret, all thrones and dominions, dominions, all personalities, all things visible and invisible in heaven and on earth, motion, space, time, life, death, good, evil, heaven, hell, because God knows all things perfectly. He knows no thing better than any other thing, but all things equally well. He never discovers anything. He is never surprised, and he is never amazed. Which leads to verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. David gets to a point where he's like, if I begin to think about how much God knows instantly, forever, and perfectly, I cannot even perceive it in my mind. It's too wonderful. And to think that God knows me better than I know myself and he still chooses to love me is far too wonderful for me. Because no one knows you better than you know yourself except for God, right? Right? We all know who we are on the inside. We all know the thoughts that we have in our mind that would, we would never speak in public. We all know the things that we wrestle with. We all know how we feel about certain people. We would never want them to know that, right? We know all of these things about ourselves that we hide, that we put on the best face we can, and we walk through life acting like we're good people, but God truly knows, and he knows me better than I know myself, and he's never learning anything about me. He's known all of this from the very beginning for all of eternity, and yet he still chooses to love me through his son, Jesus Christ, is far too wonderful for me. Which means I don't ever have to put on a show for him. I don't ever have to act like I'm religious for him. 
I don't ever have to do any of those things to earn his approval because he loves me through his son and his son's obedience, not my own. What a remarkable thought. I think you're getting it. I think, maybe. All right. 1 John 4.10, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he had loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Oh, he knows us. And he loves us. And he loves us through his son, Jesus Christ. Not only does the Lord know, but I want you to see that the Lord sees you. The Lord knows you and the Lord sees you. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is the grave, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, the night is bright as day. For darkness is as light with you. There are two ways for us to respond when we understand the knowledge of God. It is to run from him or run to him. And so David answers the question rhetorically, well, if I were to run from you because you know everything, where could I even run? Nowhere. I can run nowhere from your knowledge because you see me. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. You can't hide from God's presence because even death cannot separate us from God. Not even death can separate us. As, as Steve Lawson put it, you and I will never have more face-to-face -face moment encounter with God than the moment we die. The day that we breathe our last breath, we will see him face to face. He has seen us every moment of our life. And nothing is hidden from him. If I were to take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand would lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Even if I were to run as fast as I can to try to stay in the daylight, you, I cannot escape you. Even if I was to start in the east and go to the west as fast as I can, I cannot escape you. Even if I'm to pursue everything this world has to offer, if I was to pursue everything and make life about me, I cannot escape you. Life is not about me. If I were to pursue all this world has to offer and move myself all over the world to do so, I could not escape his purpose for my life. What a wonderful thought that not only God knows all about me, he sees every thing that I do, everywhere that I go. Hebrews 13, 5 would say, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter where you go, this is the covenant keeping God, Yahweh, that David's talking to. No matter where you go, you cannot escape the love of God. And oftentimes we run out of discontent to all the things that this world can offer us and we cannot find contentment apart from him. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He knows us all too well and he sees our every move. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. As we run 
from the presence of God, often we think that we can run from the presence of God by entering sin and pursuing sin and wickedness. When people run from the Lord and the purpose that the Lord has in their life, you'll see in their life a direct line, a beeline towards sin and wickedness. But even if we were to try to hide ourselves in the darkness, it is not hidden from God. There is no sin or wickedness in your life that is hidden from the light of the Lord. We might be able to hide our sin for a season from others, but sin is never hidden from God. He knows and he sees. As C.S. Lewis put it, we may ignore, but we can, we can nowhere evade the presence of God. We cannot evade his presence because even in darkness, he is the light. As we think about Easter coming up in the next month, only a few weeks away, we think about the light that did come into the world. One of the most famous verses, John three sixteen. Let's read this together, John three sixteen through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed." But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The God who knows you and the God who sees you sends his son for you. And he does this because he knows that apart from him, we would be lost in utter darkness. And yet even though the light came into the world, there are some that would choose darkness over the light for fear that their ways would be exposed. As Luke 8, 16 through 18 records, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will, be, that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. As Jesus tells his disciples these parables, he's saying, listen, you're being given a light. The light of the world is coming to the darkness. And if you receive the light, if you receive Jesus Christ into your life, then you have a responsibility of putting that light out for all to see that it will extinguish the darkness in your life. That way you no longer participate in the iniquities of this world. You no longer participate in the darkness of this world. You no longer hide yourself thinking that you're hiding yourself from God, but you are fully exposed before him because he knows all things and he sees all things. Therefore, I'm going to commit my life to him in all things. So I will be a witness of the light that has shined in the darkness of my life. Those who come to the light have been given a light and the responsibility to share it with others. However, it is difficult to share the light with others if you love the darkness and keep running back to the darkness. How many believers keep running back to the darkness? 
God knows all. God knows you. And God sees you. There is no place on earth that you can run and no place you can hide. Not even death can separate you from the presence of God. And no sin can hide you from the judgment of God. Because the Lord created you. Number three, the Lord created you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When I was yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. The God who knows you, the God who sees you, is the God who created you. He formed you. What a remarkable verse. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it all very well. The thought that you are not an accident is a remarkable thought. Not one person is an accident. Not one person. No matter what events took place leading up to that moment, not one person is an accident. Because God is in control. God knows all, he sees all, and he creates all. God is the creator, and he creates everyone with a purpose. When we are a new creation in him, he says in Ephesians 2.10, Paul says, for we are God's handiwork, his creation, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He created us in our mother's womb, and he recreates us through his son Jesus Christ for good works. God creates, and therefore there are no accidents. That is not to say that we are not dealing with the curse of sin that came through Adam, that sin, sickness, and death, they are still real, even in the womb. God is in control. This is why every Bible-believing Christian is pro-life. There are some who would say they're pro-choice, but that's not very Bible-believing. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Now, David here, he, he didn't have sonograms. He didn't have the ability to see inside he might have saw a foot or something random. You know how you know, pregnant women, you'll have a, ooh, that was an arm or a foot or something. I don't know what that was. But God was there in the secret places, intricately weaving together your body, your mind. He was there forming you in your mother's womb. As James Merritt puts it, a single thread of DNA from one human cell contains information equivalent to a library of a thousand volumes 
or 600,000 printed pages with, 50, with 500 words on every page. At conception, one embryo has the equivalent of 50 times the amount of information contained in the entire Encyclopedia Britannica. And if you're of a certain generation, you don't even know what an Encyclopedia Britannica is. But that's a lot of information. What an amazing thought that every second, more than 100,000 chemical reactions take place in your brain. It has 10 billion nerve cells to record what you see and what you hear. That information comes to your brain through a miracle of the eye, which has 100 million receptor cells in each eye. Your retina also has four other layers of nerve cells. Altogether, the system makes the equivalent of 10 billion calculations a second before an image even gets to your optic nerve. Talk about intricately woven. God knows you. God sees you. And God created you. Every single detail of you. The Lord who knows you intimately and who sees you impeccably is also the Lord who created you intricately. That means, and I hope this is encouraging to you today, that means that there is not one thing happening in your body that he is not already intently aware of. He knows your sickness. He knows when your levels are off and when they're on. He knows when the cancer and the diseases invade your cells. He knows. He cares. And he is always in control. What a marvelous, marvelous thought. It's too wonderful for me. My eyes, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. What a marvelous thought that God knows your every moment and your every minute. They are written down. Every single breath of your life is known to God. He is there when you first cry and he is there when you take your last breath. You cannot escape the presence of God. He has ordained your first breath and he has ordained your last. That's why Paul Tripp says, I do not write my own story. It has been written for me. My job is to live inside the plot that God has written for me in the way I have been called by him to live. What a marvelous thought as he says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. If we think about the God who knows you, the God who sees you, and the God who created every single detail of you, you cannot number the thoughts he has toward you personally. You can't even count them. It's like the sand on all the shores of this planet Earth. I cannot even begin to think of how wonderful his thoughts are towards me. That he would know me. That he would see what I do. That he created me. He knows what's happening before doctors know what's happening. Nothing is hidden from him 
and he is thinking in that direction. The fact that the Lord knows you, sees you, created you, and ordained every single day of your life should cause your heart to run to him and not from him. So my prayer is that the God who knows you, the God who sees you, and the God who created you may he be the Lord who convicts you. May he be the Lord who convicts you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. Oh, man of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart and try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. You see how David closes? He's had all these marvelous thoughts about the Lord. And then it causes him to think about himself. Oh, if this is you, convict me. John Calvin once said, it, it is certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descends from contemplating him to scrutinizing himself. When we see the holiness of God, the omniscience of God, the omnipresence of God, when we see all of these things, we can't help but see how small we are. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. This psalm moves from contemplation to conviction. This entire sermon has been one of contemplation. One where we contemplate the greatness of our Lord. And now it's my prayer that in worship it would move you to conviction. Maybe you need to pray, God, you know my movements, my motives, my mind and my heart. You see my sins and you see what I do in secret. You formed me and created me and therefore you have authority over me. So please show me what is grievous to you so that I can confess it. Would that be your prayer this morning? That the God who knows you best, the God that sees everything you do, the God who created you inside and out, body, mind, emotions, the one who knows all these things, sees all these things, created all these things, would you turn to the one who also knows what you need most? And you know what you need most? Him. Because apart from him, we would wreck our lives with sin. Oh, if it wasn't for the greatness and the graciousness of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are all hopeless and helpless. He knows everything about me. He's seen everything that I've ever done and ever will do. He created me the way he wanted to create me for a purpose. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Will you pray that prayer this morning? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we do ask that you would search us and know us. Right now, as we contemplate the greatness of you, God, you would allow us to scrutinize ourselves, that you would lead our hearts towards conviction. 
If there are areas of our life that we've tried to keep in darkness, Lord, that you would expose those with your light. Father, if there's areas of our life where we're running from your presence, God, that you would allow us to know that we cannot run any further. God, that you are there. We thank you that you have created us, that you have fearfully and wonderfully made us, that you have intricately woven together our inner parts. God, use us for your glory. You have numbered our days and you've numbered them with a purpose that we would glorify you. Father, as a church, we pray, search me, O God, and reveal any grievous way that is within me and lead me into a way of everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand? Will you respond in worship?